Well, there's a little bit of a cultural phenomenon that happens every year as we get closer and closer and closer to summer. And what happens is it seems that every year in late spring, there's a song that gets released, whether it's in late April or early May, it gets released and that song ends up dominating our ears for an entire summer. And notice, it's important that I said it dominates our ears. What I wanted to say and what I almost said as a person who grew up in the, in the 90s, I almost said it dominates the airwaves. But who listens to the radio anymore, right? Like, like it doesn't dominate the airwaves. Now, now music dominates our earphones, our, our earphones, our AirPods, our, our Beat Studios. It, it dominates our phones, and and so and so we we, we do that and all, all that kind of stuff. And if you you'd say, you know, no, I I don't listen to music on my ear on my earphones. I listen to podcasts. Well, settle down, nerd. It's okay. All right. So, but but here's the thing. This has been going on for decades, where there's some song that comes out, or maybe there's one or two songs that come out, and they end up defining and and dominating the entire summer when it comes to music. And this, maybe the first instance of this happened in 1961. Maybe the first true summer smash was Let's Twist Again by Chubby Checker. In 1971, a song came out that still rings in our year in our ears every year as school comes to close. School's out by Alice Cooper. In 1984, there were two smash hits that ended up do defining the, the era and, def and dominating the airwaves. In 1984, there was the two legendary summer songs, The Boys of Summer by Don Henley and The Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. And amazingly, Summer of 69 came out in the summer of 84. Weird thing that happened there. I just learned that yesterday. In 1988, we also had two smash hits. It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock and Never Ever Forget Summertime by DJ Jazzy and The Fresh now, I just want to also let you know, this is what's called trying to identify with an audience that may be older than you. My only memories of those are from the oldies stations or the greatest hits of yesterday's stations because I am young and hip. I am a hip young person, okay? In 1997, they featured the Fly by Sugar Ray and the Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. In 2002, 2002's big hit of the summer was Nelly's Hot and her. Hot and her. That's the title because to Nelly, spelling and grammar are suggestions and an art form, okay? 2013 featured Get Lucky by Daft Punk and Pharrell. 2017 featured Despacito by Louis Fonzi, Daddy Yankee, and of course, Justin Bieber, which was the coolest song on the planet. I mean, like, that has the best beat and such a cool rhythm and such a cool melody. It's one of the coolest songs I think that's ever come out, and it was the coolest song in the world until 70-year-old men started using it as campaign in their campaigns in 2020, and then it ruined it, and the song is done forever. And who knows what this year's summer song will be for 2022. Now, the reason I bring all of that up is there are a few things that are true about summer songs. Number one is the timing is predictable. Like I said earlier, it's always some song that comes out in late April or early May and it blows up around June. The second thing that's true is they stick with us big time. Like these aren't songs that some that just come out and we're like, well, I guess that's okay, and that's going to be our song. I think these are catchy songs. They want we want to hear them over and over again. Sometimes we hear them at first, we're like, I don't know if I like that, and then it gets stuck in our ears. We're like, oh yeah, I'm dancing to it. It's like, and we we're moving to it. It becomes something that sticks with us over time. And some of us, let's be honest, like as I mentioned, some of those songs, as I mentioned, "Summer of '69" or "The Boys of Summer," like like you had big time flashbacks, or as I mentioned, DJ 
you know, like as you mentioned, um, it takes two. I go, it takes two to make a thing. Like you're just go, like you're remembering all kinds of stuff. Some of you, you're remembering what your hair looked like, and you're regretting what your hair looked like. As I as I mentioned some of these songs, some of you, as I mentioned the stuff from 1997, you can remember exactly where you were and who you had a crush on at that point in your teenage years or in your high school years or your college years, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was such a such an idiot. Like, but you remember it because it sticks with you. You had major flashbacks as we talked about that. But here's the biggest thing that's true of summer songs. The best summer songs actually shape and define an era. The best summer songs shape and define an era. There's actually reasons why I actually kind of picked, you know, those specific songs because if we think, if you want to know what the 80s felt like, all you've got to do is go back and listen to the Boys of Summer, or listen to the Summer of '69, or listen to, uh, or listen to It Takes Two, or you know, Summertime by by the Fresh Prince. Like that's like if you want to know what the '80s felt like, that's what it felt like. If you want to know what the '90s felt like, all you've got to do is 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 turn on those songs by 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 Sugar Ray and you and 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 Britney Spears and and all those people that were around in in, in those days. If you ever want to remember what regret, sorry, I mean the two thousand, the early two thousands feels like just turn on any song by Nelly and that sounds like I'm picking a fight with Nelly maybe I'm picking a fight with Nelly but here's the thing in much the same way there are portions of certain portions of description that have predictable patterns and if we'll let them they can actually stick with us and define us in the same way these popular songs did for stretches of time and it may be possible for you that this summer you need something to define your life that's bigger than music, that's bigger than movies, that's bigger than whatever is going to kind of come up in society, what's ever going to come up in culture. You need something from God that's going to define your life for the next six weeks, the next eight weeks, the next 10 weeks. That's, that in rather than having some musical cultural phenomenon define your life, you're going to actually let scripture, you're going to let God define your life. And one of these portions of scripture is in the letters that Paul wrote to individual churches and individual people during his ministry and specifically his time while he was imprisoned in Rome. And getting even more specific, in 12 of Paul's 13 letters that he wrote to individuals and churches, he begins with a prayer for the person or the people that he is writing to. It's a predictable habit and pattern for Paul, just like the summer songs always get released in May, that Paul begins and opens each letter with a prayer for the people who would read his words. So for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time letting these prayers lead us. And here's what we're going to discover. And here's what we're ultimately going to dive into. Here's what we're going to dive into that maybe the same things Paul prayed for are the very things that God wants for you today. Maybe the same things that Paul prayed for people then are the same things that God wants for you and for me today in our world here and now. And so today we're going to jump into the first one of these let the first one of these prayers. We're going to dive into the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul has a big relationship with these people. Paul spent a good chunk of time in the city of Ephesus and Paul knew these people. Paul knew their leaders, Paul knew their pastors, Paul knew their struggles, Paul knew their difficulties, Paul knew their joys. And so when Paul writes to these people, he is not writing to strangers, he is writing to friends. He is writing to people he would call family. And he certainly is writing to people that he would say are part of the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, here's what Paul wrote. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly 
Paul says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Now, the first part is, I have not stopped thanking God for you. So I, 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 don't, know if, I don't know if every pastor does this, but I do this regularly. I, again, I don't know if every pastor does this, but I know people who plant churches do. Because we are people who opened a new church hoping that people would come, hoping people would respond to Jesus through this new thing that we are starting, but not knowing for sure that anyone would come. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a way to really like convey that other than to say like you plant a church, you hope people are going to come, you hope people will be a part of what you're doing, but you don't really know for sure that anyone actually will come. And so I just want to let you know, as Paul prayed this for the church in Ephesus, I thank God for you. I thank God that you showed up. I thank God that you keep showing up. I thank God that you keep showing up online. I, can't, I thank God that you keep showing up online after two years of being online. I thank God for marriages and new families that have begun in, as a part of our church. I thank God for children that have been born in and have grown up and are growing up in our church. I thank God for people who have taken their first step toward God in our church. I thank God for people who are taking their next step toward God in our church. I thank God for people who have been saved, for baptisms that have taken place, for people who are reading the Bible for themselves, for people who are developing a prayer life, for people who are getting involved in, involved in community, for people who are using their gifts to serve, that anyone, anytime someone is taking a step toward God or a step towards it, getting involved, like, like I just, I thank God for all of that. I thank God for your endurance through the weirdness of COVID. I thank God for your persistence through the weirdness of after COVID and post COVID. We're still not even really clear of COVID. I thank God for the way that you love my family and the way you love my kids. I thank that, I thank God that you are a church that makes it that, that, that makes it a joy to be your pastor. There are times I hear other pastors talk about the difficulty that they have in leading our church. And I'm really trying to not jinx anything right here and now. But I thank God that, that I get to pastor a church that does make it a joy to be your pastor. I have a lot to thank God for. And I want to let you know that I thank God for you on a regular basis. I thank God for you. And at the same time, I understand what Paul was writing when he also then went on to say, and I pray for you constantly. So I thank, I, I, I never stop thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly, meaning I thank God for what he has already done in you, but I'm not only staying thankful, I'm still praying for what I know God wants to do next. And here's the thing. This is not just something that I know as a leader. This is something that you know as a person of faith, as a person who's following Jesus. This is the juxtaposition of faith, of faith saying, I thank God for what he's already done, and I keep praying constantly for more to come. It's the juxtaposition of faith. I thank God for what he has already done, what he's already accomplished, where he's already brought me, where he's already brought us as a church, but I'm not content to stay thankful for the past. I wanna stay thankful for the past while looking for what God wants to do next and for the more to come that God still wants to do. To put this in, in, in two simple words to talk about the, what this juxtaposition looks like, I wanna be grateful and hungry. I want to be grateful and hungry. I want to be grateful and hungry, grateful for what God's done. 
never forgetting that God has brought us here, never forgetting where God has brought us from, never forgetting what God has delivered us from, never forgetting what God has healed us from, never forgetting what God has saved us from. I know I never forget what he's done. I want to stay grateful, but I also want to stay hungry. While I'm grateful for what he has done, that's not going to carry me into tomorrow. I want to pursue and stay hungry and keep coming to God in prayer and keep coming to God's word and keep making sure that I'm staying actively a part of the church so I don't miss out on what God wants to speak to me next, what God wants to prepare me for, what God wants to launch me into. I want to stay grateful and hungry, grateful for the steps of faith already, hungry to see you take more steps of faith, grateful for salvations and baptisms to this point, hungry to see more salvations and more baptisms in the days to come, grateful for the church that God has built in the first six years, hungry for more impact in our community in the years to come. And I'm just saying, like, we want to stay grateful and hungry. My, my good friend Ryan Leake, who pastors a church in Houston and speaks all over the country, he recently said this. He said, one of the reasons I keep praying is because I'm getting old enough to watch God answer prayers I prayed 10 years ago. For my friends that are growing weary, don't stop praying. That embodies the whole thing. I'm grateful that God has answered the prayers that I was praying 10 years ago and nine years ago, eight years ago, six years ago, and five years ago, we started to catch a glimpse of it, and four years ago, and three, like, I'm grateful for the answers to prayer. And that makes me know that I can keep coming to God with everything. I can keep, I can be grateful and I can be hopeful. I can be grateful and I can be hungry for more. I can be grateful for what he's already done and I can be hopeful and hungry for more. I'm grateful for the answered prayers. I'm hungry for more activity of God in our lives, in our church, and in our city and all across the world through Movement Church. I am hungry and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm hungry. That's what we want to stay. If I could tell you one thing that I would say from this passage of scripture that I hope would define your summer, I hope that you'll stay grateful and that you'll stay hungry for more, grateful for what he's done, hungry for what, what's left to come. Now, Paul goes on to let the Ephesians know what specifically he prays for them. Not just that he prays for them, but what specifically he is praying for them constantly. Here's what he says. He says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you the spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may, might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Here's what Paul prayed. Paul prayed that we grow in spiritual wisdom, grow in spiritual insight, and grow in spiritual understanding. Now, Here's what's interesting about this passage. A lot of times when we read this passage, we read it and we go, well, yeah, Paul wants us to grow in wisdom and grow in insight and grow in understanding. And here's the thing. God wants you to grow in those things. God wants you to grow in wisdom. God wants you to grow in insight. God wants you to grow in your understanding. But that is not what Paul prayed. Those are all good things, but that is not what Paul prayed for you and what Paul prayed for the Ephesian church and what Paul prayed for me. What Paul specifically prayed for is that these people would grow in spiritual wisdom, that they would grow in spiritual insight, and that they would, and that you and I would grow to understand spiritual things, to understand the things of God. Are you starting to sense like an underlying connection here? Yeah, it's the spiritual. It's the spiritual. He prayed for spiritual wisdom, for spiritual insight, for spiritual understanding. 
Paul prayed for us to know and grow to understand the things of God more than we know and understand the things of this world. Paul prayed that you and I, that we living in Las Cruces or wherever you find yourself living today, that we would grow not to understand the world better, but that we would understand the world better by understanding it from God's point of view, that we would understand the spiritual wisdom, we would understand spiritual insight, and we would have a growing sense of spiritual understanding and knowledge of God, that we would know the things of God, that we would know the heart of God, that we would know the mind of God, so that when we look at our world, we see our world through God's eyes. That's what he wrote, and that's what he prayed, and that's what he hoped would happen for every single one of his readers, that if we would take the time to focus on the things of God, the things of the earth, not just would grow strangely dim, but maybe just maybe they would come alive in new ways, that we would see the world that God created and understand the way that God created us to interact with the world. And so here's what Paul is saying. If you spend your summer growing in earthly wisdom, but don't grow in godly wisdom or spiritual wisdom, are you really any wiser? In some ways, yes. In the most important ways, no. If you grow more insightful in the way the world works, but you don't have any more insight into the way God works in the world, have you grown more insightful? Not in ways that ultimately matter. If you grow your understanding and knowledge of the world, but you don't grow your understanding of who God is and how he wants to interact with you and the world, have you really grown your understanding or knowledge? Not in the ways that matter most. And so Paul says, I want you to focus on growing to know the things of God more than you would know the things of the world and that you would trust the things of God more than you trust the things of the world. Let me give you one example here of how this plays out um, from something that Paul actually preached and taught to the church in Ephesus. This is recorded in Acts chapter 20. Paul told the Ephesian leaders when he met them in person that he told them, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, some of you are like, no, it is more blessed. You're like, that just depends on what part of the country you grew up in. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You have heard that at different points of your life, whether it was from parents, uh, from leaders, from pastors, from teachers, you have heard that it is more blessed to give than receive. Some, you Maybe you even heard it from some people who may not have realized that they were even quoting the Bible. When you heard that as a kid, let me tell you what I know about you. When you heard that as a kid, as a teenager, maybe some of you even hearing that today, you're like, oh, this has got an agenda behind it. It doesn't have an agenda behind it. This is an illustration of this principle. When you heard that as a kid or a teenager, or maybe you still hear it this way today, you think people who are saying that are liars, right? Let me tell you about me. I when, I when my parents would say that to me as a kid, I was like, no, you're lying. It is way more fun to get than it is to give. Here's the thing that I know. What's true is that based on the wisdom of this world, that's a lie. Based on the financial insight of this world, that's a lie. Based on the financial understanding of the world, it is a lie. That it, is more, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, that it is better to give than receive. Based on all the financial wisdom and insight and understanding of the world, giving doesn't crack the top 10 of best things that you can do with your money. But last I checked, the world was broke and God still has every imaginable resource at his fingertips. So we don't take our cues on money from the world. We take our cues from God who is truly wise. Does this make sense? So people, and the reason I can say this and the reason I know this is I'm, I'm one of these people, people who have grown in spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight and spiritual understanding have come to know that the world's wisdom and insight and understanding when it comes to money isn't all it's cracked up to be that there is a real and tangible blessing that comes from God when we give. 
And it's blessing that you don't find on your own apart from the joy of generosity. That there are blessings to be found in generosity that you can't and don't find anywhere else in life. There's the blessing of joy, a blessing of discipline, a blessing of peace, a blessing of prosperity, a blessing beyond you as ministries are equipped to do what call what God has called as, as you actually help people, as you see the joy on people's faces, as you give to them, that, that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And here's the thing I know, it's a spiritual wisdom overworldly wisdom. It's spiritual insight over worldly insight. It's spiritual understanding over worldly understanding. It's, a, it's an understanding that, you, that only comes as we understand the things of God more and more and more. There's joy and there's peace and there's healthy discipline and there's, and there's, and there's a blessing that just flows and there's prosperity that comes as we, as we understand God's priorities with our finances. It just is something that's true. It's a spiritual wisdom over the wisdom of this world. And so Paul prayed for you and I pray for you, not just when it comes to your money, but when it comes to your relationships and your time and your career and everything that you have and everything that you do, that in all areas of life, that you won't settle for growing in the world's wisdom, insight, and understanding, but that you'll push to see and know and understand from God's perspective, that you'll pursue spiritual wisdom, that you'll pursue spiritual insight, that you'll pursue an understanding of God that informs everything else about you, that you'll, that you'll pursue God and his wisdom and his insight and his understanding, and that above all, you'll grow to understand him and his perspective and how he sees the world and how he wants you to see the world. Paul wanted us to pursue the things of God more than we pursue anything of this world. He would go on to finish this passage in verse 19. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Paul prayed that you and I, and that the Ephesian church, that he prayed that we would know, grow to know God's power, that we would grow to know God's power, to have an awareness and an understanding of God's power. And he specifically gives us these, these things that God's power has already accomplished. God's power that raised Christ from the dead. It's available for you. It's available for me. God's power that places Jesus above any ruler or authority or power is available to you and is available for me. It's available for every single one of us. That's the power that we have available to us, that we can grow to understand, that we can grow to know about in our lives. That's that power, the power that raised Christ from the dead, also can confront what you're going through. That power overcomes any, any other power. That power is above any power. That power, Paul prayed that you would understand it and that I would understand it. And that God's power, here's what, here's what Paul, I think, would ultimately say. God, he wants us to know God's power because it's in us. That when you accept Christ as your Savior, you also accept him as your Lord. You also accept him as your strength. And his power that raised him from the dead is in you. That same power, it is for us. 
the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, the power that seated Christ above every earthly authority, every earthly power, it's for us, meaning it is for us. It is for your good. It is for your benefit. That God's strength is for you. He uses it for your good. He uses it to move you forward in the direction that he wants you to move. It's for you. It's through us, meaning that it's not just in us, but it's supposed to come out of us. It's supposed to be something that we use and we recognize in us, not so that we can get our way or so that we can become superheroes who accomplish whatever we want, but that we use that strength and that power for the benefit of other people so that other people can see the love of God through our strength. And it's also for those around us that those who don't yet know God would come to know God as we rely on the Holy Spirit at work in us, at work through us, through our words, through our actions, through the way we treat other people, through our service, that that it is for those around us, that God's power is in us, it's for us, it's through us, and it's for those around us. And Paul wanted you to know and understand and realize and recognize that power because it is available to you. Now, if you're wondering, like, why would Paul want us to recognize and to realize that power that's at work in us, that's at work for us, that's work around us, that's at work through us, and that's at work for people around us? Why would he want us to recognize and realize that power? I think it actually goes back to verse, in the middle of verse 18. There's a phrase that Paul used, and I kind of like already highlighted it a little bit in the way I read it when I got there. But why would Paul want that for his friends? Why would Paul want that for you and for me to recognize his power, to stay grateful and to stay hungry? Why would God want us to grow in insight and un- in spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight and spiritual understanding? Why would want God want us to grow in those things? I think it's right in the middle of this whole prayer is Paul's landing point. Paul wants for us to have a confident hope. Paul wants for you to have a confident hope. What I want for me and what I want for you is that you would have a confident hope. Confident, meaning I know God can because of his immense power. That's why Paul wants us to recognize and to realize and to understand God's power is that I realize God can do anything. So I remain confident because God can do anything. God can help me overcome this addiction. God can help me move past this sickness. God can help me move past the long-term effects of COVID. God can help us through this financial situation. God can overcome the family dynamics that that have been weird. God can help me overcome that trauma. God can do anything. He can. I'm confident because God can. So I'm confident. And when I say hopeful, here's what I mean. Hopeful is I want God to, but he hasn't specifically made a promise about this thing. So God hasn't specifically mentioned this addiction and God hasn't specifically mentioned my post-COVID symptoms and God hasn't specifically mentioned my trauma that I experienced and how I move forward from that. And God hasn't specifically mentioned how I get over depression and how I move past that. But I believe I'm, I'm hopeful because I believe and I trust that God wants to. I want God to and I know he can. I know he can. I hope he will. I know he can. I hope he will. I know he can. I hope he will. And so I'm going to stay hopeful through everything, through the face of everything. I'm going to stay confident and I'm going to stay hopeful. And here's the glue that holds those two together because let's be honest, you have faced and you have lived enough life to know that it's one thing to be confident. It's another thing to continue to be hopeful when things haven't happened yet. Here is the glue that holds those two things together. In the meantime, And until it happens, and if it never happens, I will trust that God is good. 
I'm confident because I know he can. I'm hopeful because I know he can. And whether or not he ever does, I'm going to trust that God is good. So while I'm in the fight and I'm facing my anxiety, I'm facing my fear, I'm going to continue to trust that God is good even while I haven't yet moved forward from it because I know God can. I'm confident because he can. I'm hopeful that he will move me past this. But whether or not he ever does, I'm going to trust that God is good. Whether or not the fighting in my home ever, ever resolves or not, like I'm confident that God can move us forward. Sometimes it's going to be that he has to move me forward. And until I'm willing to move forward, I may not actually move forward, but I'm confident because I know God can move us forward. I'm confident that God can resolve this difficulty. I'm hopeful because he hasn't specifically addressed it yet, but I'm hopeful that he will. And until he does, I'm going to trust that he is good. I'm going to trust that he loves me. I'm going to trust that he's strong. I'm going to keep my faith in him because I know he is good. When I'm at work and I have, I'm facing it, it seems like everyone else is getting promoted above me and it feels like things are like I'm not moving where I should move. I, I'm confident because I know God can move me forward. I'm hopeful that he will move me forward. But in the meantime, and until it happens, I'm going to trust continually that God is good. Our, our trust that God is good is the glue that holds together the confidence and the hope. And when we're praying for healing, we're praying that someone that we know would get well, that someone who is facing a terminal uh, diagnosis, that someone's facing a diagnosis where we don't know if they're, what, what, the, what the end game is. We pray and we're confident that God can heal. We're hopeful that God will heal. And in the meantime, until he does or if he never does, we trust that he is good and that he is for us and that he is strong and that he loves us and that he is good. God wants you to have a confident hope. You want to know how I know that? Because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote on the pages of what would become Scripture this prayer, that we would have a confident hope, that we would grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God, that our spirit, that we'd grow in our spiritual wisdom, that we'd come to know the things of God, that we'd come to know the heart of God as we grow in our spiritual insight, that we would grow in our awareness of who God is and how he wants to interact with us in our world, that we would stay grateful and that we would stay hungry and that we would continually become more and more aware of the power that God has that's at work in us and for us and through us and for those around us. And you want to know what I know today as we begin this series summer playlist? That's a heck of a playlist to start your summer. If you think, I have a difficulty staying grateful, but I get so focused on the future, I forget to be grateful. It's a great thing to remember to be grateful. If you're like, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, but I have a hard time looking towards the future, it's time for you to get a hunger, to develop a hunger, to keep coming to God hungry for more and more and more in prayer. If you're thinking, I, I, like, I, like, I, I, I have this thing where I want to grow in wisdom, I want to grow in insight, I want to grow in understanding, but I have this tendency to want to grow in the ways of the world. It's a great thing to be reminded by this playlist over and over again through the summer. It's time to grow in godly wisdom. It's time to grow in godly insight. It's time to grow in godly understanding. And it's time to become more and more aware of God's power because at the end of the day, what God wants to develop in you and what he wants to develop in me is a confident hope in him. Confident because he can, hopeful that he will, and trusting every step of the way that he is good. He loves you. He cares for you. He cares for me. He wants what is best for you and we're gonna have a confident hope in him 
every step of the way as he accomplishes what he wants to do in us and through us and for us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for these words from Paul. Thank you for this prayer that's recorded on the pages of Scripture that we get to read and be inspired by today. Lord, I pray, I thank you once again. Thank you for who you are. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for what you have already done. Grateful for where you've brought us from. Grateful for that we are not where we used to be and we know we're not where we used to be because of you. We're grateful for that. And God, we're hungry for more. We're hungry for what you want to do in us, for what you have left to do in us, what you have yet to do in us. We're hungry for more. God, we're hungry for wisdom that comes from you, for insight that comes from you, for understanding that comes from you. God, we want to know you. And as we know you, to understand and see the world the way that you see the world. So God, would you grow in us wisdom that comes from you, insight that comes from you, understanding of you and understanding that comes from you about the world that you created us to live in. And God, I pray that every single day we would grow to understand and recognize your power and your authority in our world and in our lives. So that ultimately, at the end of the day, what this all will bring is a confident hope in you. God, help us to continually, every single day, every single need, every single moment, be confident that you can. Help us to stay hopeful that you will. And God, ultimately, would you help us to remember the glue that holds it all together, that you are good. God, whether we're in the middle of a moment where, where things are going really well, or whether things are going really difficult, or whether we're right in the middle, God, help us to remember that you are good and that you are for us. Help us to have a confident hope in you. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.